Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. Hey everyone, welcome to our fourth and final Q&A that goes with the Your Best Self webinar series that we're doing. So in the past week, I am on a workcation right now with my family. So we're up in the Ohio area uh, area on Lake Erie. And a win for me has been, even though I'm in vacation mode, so to say, even though I'm still working, I've still gotten up and done my walk every single day. And y'all, I'm on an island right now that has no coffee shops and no gyms. This is like the antithesis of Kimberly. I love my morning coffee and I love my gems. And so I've been having to make do with what I have. And you know what? It has been great. So that's a huge win. We have Laura coming in and sharing that she recently discovered her husband's affair. Very sorry to hear that. But instead of her usual meltdown, all I thought was it's okay. I just need to double down on me. Usually I would fall apart. That's a huge win. Thank you for sharing, Laura. I have been practicing smart contact, but I do not know when uh, to keep a conversation going. Okay, we'll come back to that. We'll we'll put that in the question part of what we're doing. Deborah says, I had a situation where I needed to tell someone that something they were doing was disturbing me. I rarely have spoken up for myself being a people pleaser, and I am happy I put someone, I'm happy I put needs equal, my needs equal to the needs of someone else. That's fantastic. That's a huge win. That's a huge win. Even to this day, as many times as I have had to have difficult conversations with people, I don't know that it gets easier. I just think you get more used to doing it and learn how to do it better over time. There's always that tension and that fear of rejection that can go into those conversations. And you know what, after you do it, how much better did you feel, right? Like a weight was lifted off of your shoulders, probably. So amazing. That's great. Paul says, I've been eating better, working out a few minutes every night, taking time to pray and reflect. I think that is a fantastic way to go, Paul. Tony says, I've been meditating and working on being mindful. My husband asked me what I was doing on a Saturday and asked for me to spend the day at his shop. I have never been asked into this private space. That's fantastic, Tony. A huge win. And the last one we'll share, Sarah says, my pies changes that my adult kids have seen has led to my daughter-in-law to take the concept to her therapist and asked her to grow like this. That is huge. 
Thank you for sharing that, Sarah. See, this is what we talk about. We talk about the power of the pies is not in becoming the, uh, like, make the other people in your life try and follow this concept. People all of the time. I mean, I remember back to one of the first speaking engagements that I ever did at a huge church that I was that I was going to in Austin at the time. And uh, I was speaking at the women's conference in one of their breakout rooms. And I was speaking on pies. And this was so many years ago, probably seven years ago. And this woman came up to me at the end and she said, but how do I get my husband to do this? I understand what you're saying. I understand all of this about attraction, but how can I get my husband to do this? And the bottom line of it is you can't make him. You can't get him. You can't force him to do these things. The best testament of your pies is you living out the changes that working on the pies is doing in your own life. And it stops people where they look at you. They kind of have that, that twice look, even if nothing has changed in your appearance, I am telling you the confidence level and your self-esteem levels change when you focus on these things. It causes people to do a double take. They want to know what you've been doing. How have you grown so much? How have you become even more attractive, right? When you talk about the pies, that is the best way to encourage people to do that. Okay, two more, two more, because y'all are sharing some awesome ones. Levi says, a big win, proof of the Holy Spirit changing me. I received my divorce papers after waiting for four months. I remained calm, strong, and gentle. I didn't react and even verbalized, I am in control of my emotions. That's huge, Levi, especially after experiencing something that can be so earth-shattering. It feels so earth-shattering at times, but you understand it's not the end. And you can be in control of how you respond to this. And then finally, Joni says, moved my phone charger outside my bedroom and leaving my phone on charge before I go to bed. Big help on avoiding temptation to check my phone before I close my eyes. And when I wake up in the morning, my mental wellness has improved a lot as a result of this small change. Joni, that's a huge change. A lot of times people are scared to be away from their phone for that long. What if someone calls me? What if someone needs me? I need it for my alarm, right? But it just allows your environment to be filled with the things that you already know you don't need in your environment. I was reading just last week, or um, actually, no, I was listening to a researcher talk about how if you want to make changes in your life, you first have to make changes in your environment because it's your environment that is going to make or break the success of the changes that you're trying to make. So well done. Job well done. All right. Let's talk about your questions. I would love to answer any questions you have about spiritual attraction. So be sure that you answer those if you have them. It could be something as simple as, I'm going to be honest, I haven't watched anything about spiritual attraction. Can you recap it real quick for me? This is a place for honesty and transparency. And I'll answer the questions as best I can. I can't promise that I always have the answers, but I will go ahead and answer. There was two that came in, one that was uh, sent in previously. And this person says, my husband believes that feelings are not controllable and that it is okay to separate. If a marriage is loveless, he has had, he has had an affair moved out and feels so guilty that he is hardly able to look at me. Although I am really calm. He says that he likes my idea to rebuild a friendship, but he says that he is not ready. It seems like he is waiting for the right amount of time to make his 
LO, his limerent object, his official partner. I'm losing hope. And I don't know how to show him that a marriage is even worth saving, though this is not part of his beliefs and values. And I don't know how to show him that a marriage is worth saving, even though this is not part of his beliefs and values. Okay. I'm not sure that I understand that. Are you saying that it is like typically it would be a part of his beliefs and values, or he does not have a belief and value set of a marriage is worth saving? I think it's going to be the latter. How can I show him? that it is safe to meet me again without giving me, without giving the impression that he can be my friend while being in an official relationship with the LO. Okay. So to answer this question, let's start by talking about spiritual attraction, because actually it's going to tie in to what I will, what I'm going to give an answer to for this question. When we think of the pies, We know that it's physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. And you guys, what's really amazing is one of the reasons that we used that acronym is because it spelled something. It was easy to remember. Um, It's trademarked, right? All of these things are part of the reason that we chose PIES for this, for explaining this holistic part of attraction. But what's even more amazing than that is they actually build that way. It actually really does look like layers of a cake or layers of an onion. The deeper that you get, the more core it becomes. And so physical attraction is the first thing that people typically see when they become attracted to us. It's also one of the first things that when we begin working on ourselves, that if we focus on physical, the physical part of our attraction, again, not just how we look, but also how we feel, then that is where we can start seeing some quick changes happening in ourselves. Now, when I say quick changes, a lot of times people say, I'm not quickly going to lose 30 pounds. Well, when we talk about physical attraction, we're not just talking about weight. We're talking about feeling. We're talking about energy. We're talking about mood. We're talking about all of those things. And so when we work on these aspects of our physical self, if you haven't done the first part of your best self, where it talks about physical attraction, a lot of people want to skip that because they think I already know what to do, or I don't want to hear it, or I'm already doing those things. Okay. If you feel amazing, then maybe I will give you a pass to skip the P of the Your Best Self course to skip the week on physical attraction and move into intellectual. But if you are like 95% of the world and you are struggling, you aren't sleeping well, you don't have any energy, you feel like crap, you feel bloated, you feel blah in your life, then you need to start with physical because you can begin to make changes quicker there that you will start seeing the payoff just for yourself. On top of that, after that, we go into that intellectual attraction because it's building on that physical. When I start to feel better about myself, guess what? My mind is able to focus on different things. I'm able to want to learn more. I'm able to want to have different types of conversations and not just be so stuck in my normal way of life. I'm willing to kind of open my eyes a bit more and see things, see more things and want to learn more things. Intellectual attraction. From there, we go into emotional attraction. And we're getting deeper into the person as we go. Physical is more of surface level. Even if it's not looks, it's still kind of more surface level. Intellectual is my brain, my mind, how it works. Emotional is my heart, how my, how I'm, 
acting towards others? Am I evoking emotions they enjoy feeling? How am I um, showing up in my relationships to do those things? Are other people doing things that are evoking the emotions inside me that I like feeling, right? This is emotional attraction. It's all about those feelings. And then spiritual attraction is, is the gut. It's the core of who we are. Spiritual attraction is what fuels us. It's what we're designed for. It's our purpose. It's our beliefs and values. This is the center of our being. And so the deeper that we get into a relationship, if we, when we think about pies in terms of dating, in terms of marriage, then on that first date, I'm going to be more surface level over time. My, uh, like when Rob and I were dating over time, he got to learn a little bit more about me, about what I liked to learn about my hobbies, uh, my interests over time. He began to learn really more about my emotional state and how I was really going to treat him in moments of, of stress or in moments of sadness or in moments of joy, right? He was able to find that that emotional part of me, understand that emotional part of attraction. But, but it was really like, even though I might've talked about my beliefs and values up front, which I did on our first date, <laughs> I said to him one day I'm adopting kids from India. So if you, if you are not interested in that, there's no need for us to continue this relationship at all. Go, looking back, that's probably the worst thing I could like any other dating advice. They would say, don't talk about that. But guess what? I talked about it. But guess what? Over time is when he really learned to understand my true beliefs and values, because we understand someone's true beliefs and values when we watch how they live. It's not just how are they treating me, which is emotional attraction, but spiritual attraction is, are they living in line with who they say they are? Mm. And so going back to this question of, what do I do? He says that he may want to rebuild a relationship. He feels guilty about the fact that he's had an affair. He doesn't believe that a marriage is worth saving. So the question is, how can I show him that it is safe to meet me again without giving the the impression that he can be my friend while being in an official relationship with another person? So how does this come down to beliefs and values? You person that submitted this question. I don't know what, what the name is because it was emailed in earlier. Um, what are your beliefs and values about, about how you should treat your husband right now? Because you said, I don't want to give him the impression that we can be friends. Basically what you're saying is I don't want him to feel like he can have his cake and eat it too. I don't want to feel him to feel like he can get a free pass. But my question back to you is, well, what are your beliefs and values? Is it that you only want to show your husband unconditional love when he meets your, like what you're wanting him to do right now. He's in an affair. He is not living in line with his beliefs and values to begin with more than likely, because you likely did not marry a person who had this belief system who was like, let's just have an open marriage or it's fine for me to have an affair. Likely you married someone who committed to you and you committed to each other that you would be monogamous, right? And so right now your husband is living out of line of his beliefs and values. You can't force him to change that. And in fact, if you try and force someone to change their beliefs and values, what do you think is going to happen? We see it. We have seen it in the world over the past two and a half years. It only makes them dig their heels in deeper because that never works. 
Now, I understand there's a lot of emotion that goes into this because you're right. You don't want to give the impression that he can have his cake and eat it too, that you're just going to be fine with him being in a relationship. But guess what? You can clearly state, I uh, like, I want this marriage to work. I want, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go into a whole spiel about it, but I want this, I want to make this marriage work. I don't agree with the fact that you're in an affair. It's hurting me. It's hurting our marriage. It's hurting our kids if you have them, right? Um, but what what is your end goal? That is a better question for me to ask you right now. If your end goal is to just make it very clear to him, well, if your end goal is to save the marriage, which I'm guessing that it is, then ask yourself, how is me saying you can't be my friend while you're in this relationship with this other person getting you to your end goal? I don't think it would. Now, the other side of that, people will all of the time say back to that. So you're saying, Kimberly, that I'm just supposed to sit back and be best friends with my husband while he goes off and he does whatever he wants to? No, I'm not necessarily saying that either. I'm saying there's a line here. There's a tension that you have to manage and balance in this where where you kind of have to get to the point where you understand how do I show up? and rebuild that connection and that intimacy and that friendship with my spouse and view that as a separate issue. And then the other issue is how do I create stops, which is what we at Marriage Helper use as our terminology around boundaries. How do I create a stop that is a safeguard that offers protection even while an affair is still happening? So that is the best answer I can give on this webinar because we have more questions I want to get to and I don't want to go much deeper. But uh, your main question, I'm losing hope. I don't know how to show them that a marriage is worth saving. You, the way you do it is by reestablishing a friendship. And if you have your heels in the sand saying, I won't be friends with him while he is involved in the affair, it's going to be nearly impossible for you to do it. I know it's not fair. I know it sucks, but think about your end goal. Think about your beliefs and values the why behind why you're committed to saving this marriage. And that will drive you further towards hitting this goal than just thinking about what the current circumstances are. Hopefully that helps. Next question. So I've been practicing smart contacts, but I do not know when to know how to keep a conversation going. I think people commonly overthink this. Because we have done such a great job at Marriage Helper at creating this methodology called smart contact, right? It's our, it's ours. We are the creators of smart contact. We saw what was working in terms of a lot of things, in terms of what the research said, but also just like healthy behavioral communication inside of a relationship. And that's what we teach in smart contact. Smart contact at its core is the healthiest way to communicate in any relationship. And I think people get stuck because they, because a lot of people find out about smart contact and start using it in the middle of a separation or in the middle of uh, really a lot of tension in the middle of when their spouse won't talk to them. And so you're trying to navigate how do you implement this in your day-to-day life? Let's talk about it at its core stop push behaviors. 
Don't do the things, don't say the things that are going to push your spouse away. Manage business items. Um, Now this one, we can flip. So in the middle of a separation or in the middle of a tense relationship, manage business items truly means talk about the non-emotional things. Why? Because when we get emotional, we start pushing, we start screaming, we start yelling, we start putting the guilt trip on, right? That's what happens when we get emotional. So the reason we say do have the non-emotional conversation, talk about the non-emotional things is so that you can begin to create a new foundation of a communication cycle. Because what typically happens, this happened to me and Rob and our first year of marriage. What typically happens is we get used to the fights and you all probably know what I'm talking about. You know, in your head, maybe, maybe your, your spouse did something early before they left for work. This is, this is what it was for me and Rob. This is what it was for me and Rob when we lived in Korea. It was, um, he would come home after working a 12 to 14 hour high stress day in the military in a country where we knew no one and in a country where I had no car and we and I didn't live close to public transportation. So I was stuck. Me, Kimberly, the extrovert, you all know me, stuck at home for 12 to 14 hours with no friends, with no family, with nothing to do. And I'm the kind of person, like, I love to work. I love to be doing things. That is me. And I've been stuck at home. I gave up my life to marry him and move across the country to Korea or move across the world to live in Korea with him. He gets home at the end of the day and doesn't want to spend time with me. He's an introvert. He's peopled out. He wants to go be by himself. I internalize that is he does not care about me or the sacrifices I've made for him. I get angry. I follow him through the house. He shuts the door to get privacy. I bang on the door crying. Why don't you love me? And when this happens enough times over and over weeks at a time, this becomes the communication cycle. And so there's something like this in your marriage, probably as well. It's different. It's going to be different for you, but this is what it was for us. And you, you start to, this is just what you do. And so you expect it. You expect this to be what happens because it's what's always happened. And so in smart contact, the whole idea is you stop talking about the emotional things. Instead, you manage business items, manage non-emotional things. So in the, in my scenario, which I, I did not do then because we hadn't created smart contact yet, but this would have been amazing. In my scenario, it would have been, he comes home. I ask him how his day was. He responds probably with two to three words and then goes to be alone. And I don't follow him. Okay. And then when he finally does come back out, then I, I, I'm not, I'm not talking about why do you want to be alone or why do you never want to spend time with me? Because that's emotional. That's relationship driven. We're not there yet. We have to heal our communication cycle first and set it on a new foundation. He has to trust that I'm not going to always just be like pushing every button of trying to get him to do what I want him to do. He has to trust that there can be a different communication cycle. So what does that look like? I, how, how was your day? How was that big thing that you were worried about? 
did you try that new restaurant on base? We didn't have kids at this time. So I couldn't say anything about the kids, but that's something that we talk about. Um, and I also know that when we talk about managing business items, a lot of times we talk about taxes, things like that. But listen, those aren't necessarily stress-free conversations either, <laughs> but we're saying that if you're separated in my scenario, Rob and I always lived together at that point. And so we weren't in separate apartments in Korea. We lived in the same apartment. So, uh, I had some things, I had more leverage. I had more things that I could talk about than if people are totally separated. So when we say, if you're totally separated, like fine, you're going to have to grasp maybe for some more straws of what business items are. Kids are a great one because we're always needing to be in conversation and should always be in positive conversation with our spouses about the kids. Um, but things like taxes, right? Those aren't fun conversations, but it could be an open door that you use to, hey, we need our taxes signed, which we just did this last week. Oh, and it was not stress-free. But hey, we need like I need, we need to finish up some things on the taxes. Where can I send this for you to get your signature or where can we meet up? And again, it's just an open door. You don't want to have a conversation about the taxes. No one wants to talk about taxes, but you use it as an open door for how's it been for you? How's work going? How's your mom? Like things that just make sense to have the conversation with. So in this question, I bought the supplies toolkit, smart contact. Nope. That wasn't the question. Here's the question. <laughs> Sorry. I've been practicing smart contact and I do not know when to keep a conversation going. You do it like they're your friend. So take the fear of rejection out of it, which I know is difficult. But if you think in your mind, if this was my best friend right now, or maybe not my best friend, if this was a good friend, if this was a good friend that I was having a conversation with right now, what is a question I would ask to keep the conversation going? Have you been watching any good shows on Netflix? How's your sports team doing? Like you just, just care about them. That's it. Be curious about your spouse. And I think one of the reasons this is hard is because we didn't do a good job of this in our marriages when we were together. We stopped being curious. We stopped asking the questions of what are your future dreams and hopes? What do you like? What's your favorite ice cream? When was the last experience you had with a giraffe? <laughs> that might sound like a strange question. I had a counselor on my podcast a couple of months ago, and I loved what he said when we were talking about being curious because uh, Dr. John Gottman, when I had Dr. John Gottman on my podcast, who is the guru of relationship research, when I asked him, what is the number one key that you believe is the key for a long, happy marriage? He said, staying curious about your spouse. And I get goosebumps just thinking about it because like, when did we stop being curious? My husband and I played the question game our whole dating life, which was only 10 months. It was very short, I will admit, but we would play the question game. We had a long distance relationship and we would just go back and forth for hours. Even when we were in person together, we would just spend hours asking each other every question you could consider under the world. And when I had this counselor on my podcast a couple of months ago, I loved his recommendation, which was have a bowl in the middle of your kitchen table and just put a bunch of nouns on small sheets of paper and fold them up. And then at dinner time, just have each person pull out a noun. And then they have to tell a story about the, their last or best experience with that thing. So it could be cotton candy, giraffe, 
boat, whatever it is. And then it will bring up a circumstance in their life, a story from their life about that. And they share it. And that's a way to stay curious. And so keep a conversation going by being genuinely curious about wanting to understand more about them. And you will have to apply that in the way that best makes sense for where you are. I don't know that you want to, you know, that you're at the stage right now in your marriage for the person who asked this question where you can just put a bowl in the middle of your kitchen counter and this becomes a ritual that you do, but maybe you are, and that's great. But if you're not there and there's still distance, there's still like, eh, I don't know how much we really talk to each other, then you do it slowly. And you don't ask about their favorite childhood vacation today, but you ask about the things they care about in their life right now. How's golf going? How's your college class going? Whatever it is that they are into in their life, start asking them about it. That's a great place to start. And then let the conversation go from there. All right. Uh, Someone says, how do I respond when my wife in the starting phase of divorcing me, devaluates Christianship for my children, who I try to bring up as Christians. She explicitly pounds on it because she knows she can hurt me the most. I only want my children not to listen to her religion devaluation streaks. Thank you. A lot of this is going to depend on the age of the kids, to be completely honest, because you know, uh, that matters. If the kids are so young that they, that you can't have a conversation with them and they're still very, you know, if they're younger than 10, 12, then it's going to be more difficult. You can have the best thing you can do at this point is number one, share with your wife and just try and respect each other. Will you respect my beliefs? And I will do my best to respect yours. We don't have to agree with another person's beliefs in order to be respectful of them, but then have that conversation with your kids and say, kids, you know, I love you. And this is what I believe. This is why I think it's really healthy and and great for you to believe this as well. But don't throw your wife under the bus. You don't want to say, but your mom's gone crazy (laughs) or your mom just want, you know, she wants to bash this at every chance she can. You can simply say your mother shares some different beliefs. And I want us to be able to respect that. I respect her different beliefs, but it's also really important for me that um, that you, that I am able to share with you my beliefs as well. And I would start with it in in that way. Okay, twelve and six. So yes, I would still I would still start with it that way, and come to an agreement with each other that when I'm guessing you're separated. Um, but you know, when they're with you, that that's what you do. You take them to church, you have conversations about Jesus, you, you pray with them and you do the best that you can there. And then, um, I don't know what that looks like when they're with your wife, but again, like you can't control that. You can have the best conversations with her that you're able to have at the stage that your relationship is in right now, ask for mutual respect, but the best that you can do is try and instill those beliefs and values when they're with you. All right. Um, All right. How do you resolve major differences in core values, such as being honest versus avoiding or hiding the truth? Great. I would love more context on this, on this question, but I will give as best of an answer 
as, as I can with just this. Um, I'm going to answer this question under the assumption, which we know what they say about assumptions, that you and your spouse are the ones having these major differences and it not being that you have these core value differences in yourself. Like you are internally struggling with these two things. Actually, I'll answer both of them. How do you resolve major differences in core values with your spouse or a loved one? I don't know that you can resolve that uh, in terms of fix it. I don't know that you can ever fix it. I think the best thing that you can do in understanding another person and trying to understand their core values is again, it's being curious. It's having the conversation. Now, here's the thing. I really wish I knew if, if you were asking this about someone else, because if you were asking this question about you, like your core values of being honest versus someone else's being avoiding or hiding the truth, then I would say, I don't know that anyone would say that their core value is avoiding or hiding the truth. And so I would assume that you are assuming that about that person since they continue to do it. And in that case, I would say they probably have a completely different core value. And they're like a core value of theirs may be um, protection or something like that. I'm just pulling this word out but maybe they feel like they need to avoid or hide the truth for a self-protective measure. Maybe it goes back to something that happened to them when they were a child or something like that. But, but that's the bottom line. We have the core values that we have because of either experiences that we have had in our past um, or really strong beliefs and values, which are probably still going to come from experiences that we've had in our past. Maybe it was the way we were raised up to be, the way our parents taught us, the experience we had in school, whatever it is, all of those things are going to form what our core values are. So if you feel like there's someone in your life who's lying a lot, a great conversation could be like, tell me about your past. Tell me about when you were a kid, because I bet you will find a story in there that will shed light onto why they that why they lie. Very few people are pathological liars. But there are some. I dated one long time ago <laughs> in college. There are some people that are pathological liars, but most people lie for self-protection or to protect someone else. And so, lying is never good. Lying is never right. I'm never justifying lying. However, it can shed a new light of empathy on the situation and on the person and what you're dealing with when you can see that they may have, like that may be why they're acting that way. Now, if you're asking this question personally, like I have a core value of being honest, but I'm finding that I am trying to hide the truth more, or I'm trying to avoid telling the truth, and I have this internal struggle within me, then how do you resolve that internally? you have to ask yourself, what is your actual belief and value? Because you're not living in line with it. You're experiencing cognitive dissonance 
because you're holding on to one belief, but doing something completely different. And over time, there's only two outcomes of that. Either you are going to change your beliefs and values to where you become someone who hides the truth and you give up the value of, of being honest, or you stop hiding the truth and you go back to being honest. But in that, if someone was trying to resolve these two things personally, then I would assume, again, a lot of assumptions here, but I would assume they're scared of the consequences of what's gonna happen when they tell the truth. And at some point you just have to face them. I am honored that I was able to spend an hour with you for the past couple of weeks and hope we can do it again sometime. Uh, honestly, I love talking about pies. I love answering questions like this. And I love to see the change that all of you make in yourself. So that's all I have. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Stay strong and keep working on your pies.